Today, I'm going to talk about discipleship in the family. And uh, we're going to continue really our thinking, which is building through the year around discipleship and what that uh, kind of looks like. And this morning, I want to look at how family is important as a place where discipleship happens. So that's my kind of fundamental idea from today for today. And as we go through the talk, I want us to think about it on two different levels. So sometimes it will seem like I'm talking about the natural family. And sometimes it will seem like I'm talking about the spiritual family or the church. And sometimes you won't know which I'm talking about. And that's probably not my lack of communication skills. It's probably because I don't really know either, because actually it's all sort of intertwined together. And the reason they kind of come together is because we get what church family looks like by looking at natural family. And we look at natural family and church. You know, there's this kind of interlinking between the two. And all of us are part of a human natural family. For good or bad, we're all part of a human natural family. And all of us, if we're Christians, we're part of the family of God, then we're part of a spiritual family as well. And we here in Jubilee call ourselves a family. And if discipleship is living like Jesus and making disciples who make disciples, then I think, in fact, I'm convinced that family has a crucial role to play in that. And so we're going to look at this theme by looking at the story of Timothy. As our example, and I'm going to do it in kind of two parts. I'm going to look at some of the key relationships in Timothy's life. And then we're going to explore some of what I think, and it's not exhaustive, um, but some of the key features of what discipleship in family looks like. And I want to say at the outset that I'm learning on this as well. Okay, so I'm seven years into being a dad. In fact, seven years and 12 days, my eldest son would tell me into being a dad. And so very much a work in progress. And there are people here who are much further down the line than that. And there are people in the room who I have learned so much from by just hanging around over the years. So please don't think that I'm giving you here the kind of perfect scenario and I'm putting myself up as that. I'm not. okay? but I feel I've learned something and I've got something to show you from Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles with you and if you could turn to 2 Timothy and chapter 1. And we're going to just read the first seven verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Let's pray.
Father, it is a wonderful thing to be able to gather together as your family in your presence and worship you for how great and awesome you are. And so we thank you we were able to do that this morning. We thank you that now we come and sit in front of your word. And we pray would you open our hearts to learn your truths. Father, would you speak to each of us by your spirit. Lord, as we think of this theme of family and discipleship in families on this day of all days in the year, Mother's Day, where we celebrate the blessings of mothers to us. We pray that our hearts will be opened so that we reflect your ideal of family ever more closely. So speak to us, we pray. Amen. Great. So I think in this passage, then, we see uh, some of the major influences in Timothy's life. And the first one of those that strikes me as I read that is Paul. Now, Paul first met Timothy back in Acts chapter 16. So I'll just read you a couple of verses. And this is the first time we meet uh, Timothy as well. So start of Acts chapter 16, it says, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, um, I mean, it's a painful story um, (laughs) on the one level, um, but... Paul arrives and he meets this impressive young man called Timothy and he decides that he's going to take him with him on his missionary trips. And if you carry on reading, you'll see that Timothy's name crops up again and again and again throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And there develops between the two of them this deep bond. So much so that when we read the passage we read earlier, it says to Timothy, my beloved son. Now, that's not a a natural son. Paul wasn't his father. Timothy's father was a Greek. But it's a spiritual son. There's something deep going on here. And we'll explore that again in a bit. So we've got this first major influence in Timothy's life is Paul. The second influence are Paul's mother and grandmother. And we know their names. I love this. There's so many people in scripture who are unnamed, but Timothy's mother and grandmother, we know their names. So Lois is his gran and Eunice, what a name, is his mum. Fantastic. And I think they are real heroes. Real heroes. Eunice, a Jewish woman who was a believer. That's what that passage in Acts 16 says. But married to a Greek, that implies he was an unbeliever. And so when I read verse five of that two Timothy chapter, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now dwells in you. What a legacy that is. And given that it's Mother's Day, I want to pay tribute to my mum and my grandmother who both so faithfully modelled what it is to love Jesus to me. Mother called Edna, grandmother called 
Betty. Fantastic. I wished I had daughters so we could carry on the family name. But I'm just so grateful that I was brought up in a home and those two were very much in, our, in my home. So my, my grandmother took a, a lot of time looking after us as we were growing up because my mum was poorly. I'm so grateful for the fact that I was encouraged to learn the scriptures, that they modelled what it was to walk with Jesus, that they encouraged us to get it stuck into church, that they put truths deep inside us and they modelled a sincere faith, just as Lois, Lois and Eunice did to Timothy. And what I realise now is that I underwent an 18-year discipleship programme without even noticing. It was called being brought up in the ways of Jesus. And I realise that that's not the case for everyone. I know it's my case and that's a privilege and I believe that's the ideal. I believe that's the biblical ideal. But there'll be some of you who, even as we read this and even as we responded earlier to some of the prophetic words that were coming. You might think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I haven't got that kind of legacy. I don't kind of stand in the good of generations who have followed Jesus. And you need to hear this morning that if that is your story, then your story is of no less importance. And your salvation is of no less significance and you are of no less value just because that wasn't your experience. And it's a favourite tactic of the enemy to kind of get in there and tell you that you're less qualified to do stuff, to stand up and preach maybe, to lead worship, I don't know, whatever it is. And this morning, although it's great that we're going to focus on the impact of Lois and Eunice, and rightly we should, Some of you maybe need to reflect on the fact that Timothy's father was a Greek who didn't even allow his wife to circumcise their eight-day-old son according to the Jewish customs that she followed so dearly. There was conflict even there in the home. It wasn't all plain sailing for Eunice and for Timothy. And yet he was not discounted from serving Jesus. You see, God wins out in the end. What did we say earlier? Jesus has the last word. So whatever your upbringing, Jesus has the last word. I just felt that some of you needed to hear that this morning. So these major influences then on Timothy's life, we've got Paul and we've got his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And, uh, and I want to pick out four features which I think should characterise our uh, discipleship within families. And the first is though of those is heart connection. And I've got a little diagram. Um, it's not very exciting, um, but maybe it's something to work with, Katie. I don't know. But, um, but I put heart connection in the middle because it's so important. I think. You see, at the root, discipleship is about relationship. A few weeks ago, Rob preached, and we've had it quoted already, but he said that discipleship starts and ends with friendship. What's friendship about? It's about relationship. What's relationship about? It's about heart connection. It's about heart connection with people. And we know this intuitively in our natural families. We know that relationships are central, and they need to be nurtured, and they need to be cultivated, and they need to be prioritised, because other thing, otherwise things go wrong. In our marriage, we regularly um, sit down and look at our diaries, our schedules, and go, usually it comes with an apology from Beth, Simon, we really need to look at our diaries. 
Um, but it's important. Why? To ensure that there's proper time built in for us to develop our marriage. I want Beck to be the best friend that I have, my best friend, until we die. In our family life, we try and prioritise time as four of us. Time with the children. Why? Because relationship's important. Heart connection is important with your children. And raising a family and having a family is about relationship. It's about building that deep heart connections with those little people that God's entrusted you with. And if that's true in natural family, then it must be true in spiritual family as well. Must be true in the church. That we prioritise relationship and we build deep heart connections with each other. So I just want to explore this example of Paul and Timothy again. We've already looked at this bit where he describes himself as, uh, so he says to Timothy, my beloved son. Now Paul wrote another letter to Paul, to, Paul wrote another letter to Timothy as well. It's ingeniously called 1 Timothy. And in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Again, emphasizing that. In, if you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, for this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. This isn't just something that Paul says to Timothy. It's something he announces to the churches. You're my child. He's my child. And then in that passage we read at the start, 2 Timothy 1, if we continue reading, it says, um, verse 3, whom I, serve, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. This isn't just kind of, you know, grabbing a coffee at the end of the service. This is something so much deeper. He's remembering him constantly, filling his prayers, wanting to see him. Why? Because they've got a deep heart connection. Listen to this from Philippians chapter 2. Verses 19 to 22. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And there are more examples. But Timothy and Paul have this deep bond. So why is heart connection important then? Well, because it reflects the father heart of God. Simple as. Reflects the father heart of God. And the father heart of God is so fundamental to our understanding of God and our relationship with him. I know that for me, when I filter everything through the lens of God's unquenchable, unfathomable, high, wide, long and deep love, It gives me a security that nothing else can provide. 
gives me a, a freedom that nothing else can offer. And it gives me a certainty that nothing else can supply. It's then that I find my heart is connected to God. That's when I find when I, who I really am. And it's from that place of knowing who I am in the Father that I can truly learn to live like Jesus and be a disciple. And so if that bedrock of the love of God and the knowledge of the love of God is so crucial to my relationship with God, I need to point my children in that same direction. I must make it my aim to demonstrate and communicate the love of God in as many ways as I can, in as many places as I can, and at many times as I can. And in as consistent a way as I can. Why? Because if I have a deep heart connection with them, that necessarily points them to look to God. Because that's where the the kind of foundation I'm loving them out of. And that takes time and it takes effort. It means listening. It means, for me, it means engaging with them, even when I think there's some more pressing things that need to be done. Hoovering, ironing, that sort of thing. Currently, it means spending hours playing games with them, building Lego, kicking a football around, talking about school, planning surprises for Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It means caring about the things that are bothering them and that matter to them. It means answering the same question again and again and again, and not just going, I refer to the answer I gave previously. It's a joy, and it's a privilege, and it's hard work. And sometimes I fail miserably, and I'm the nagging, short-tempered, disinterested, preoccupied, overbearing, way too fussy dad. And sometimes I do well. I'm learning. Like I said at the start, I'm a work in progress. But I think that the greatest thing they could ever say to me in the future is that I showed them the love of God and that they know that for themselves. And the way I can do that is to build deep relationships with them, build this heart connection with them. And the place where it happens is family. The place where it happens is family. So I want to ask you, Mother's Day, I don't know whether it's the same for everyone, but on Mother's Day I kind of reflect. You know, you have points in the year where you reflect. Around Christmas, New Year time, you reflect. The end of the summer holidays, you reflect. Mother's Day, I find myself reflecting. How connected are you in your relationships? What wonderful story that was from Steve. Where's he gone? There he is. Wonderful. Reconciliation. Reconnection. But maybe review your relationships. How connected are you? Where is there currently a little bit of drift? A little bit of disconnectedness has crept in. Where are things good? How did things get good? 
How do you maintain things being good? And when I asked those questions, were you thinking of your natural family or your spiritual family? And what about if you now reflect on the other one? How connected in are you? So I think the first feature I wanted to emphasize is this heart connection. The second thing is the word. If you read 2 Timothy, it's only a short book. Do it this afternoon, after lunch, sit down with a coffee, read 2 Timothy. It's amazing. And it's all about the truth. It's all about the word and sound doctrine and refuting false teachers and sticking true to the, you know, the word of God. It's kind of teacher's paradise to Timothy. So I'll give you a few of the highlights. Retain the standard of sound words you've heard from me. It's all these kind of imperatives in his language. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The things that you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who in turn will entrust them to others. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And he goes on to summarize the gospel and then says, remind them of these things. It's the truth. He talks about how Timothy has followed his teaching. He exhorts Timothy to preach the word and watch out for those who don't endure sound doctrine. And then we get this in chapter 3 and verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, often when we read that, we focus on the usefulness of scripture. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, etc. That's great. It's really important. But the passage begs another question of how is it that Timothy got to know the scriptures? And it says in verse 15 that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. From childhood, who was responsible? Who were the movers and shakers in Timothy's childhood? Well, it was Lois and it was Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. They brought him up knowing the scriptures. I like to think that he'd have been told the stories of how God chose Abraham as the father of the nations, how he anointed David as the king of Israel, how he appointed Gideon as a victorious warrior. I think he'd have learnt about the integrity of Joseph, the wisdom of Solomon, the leadership of Moses, the bravery of Esther, the fearlessness of Elijah and the faithfulness of Ruth. I think he'd have known about how God saved one family through Noah and his ark. He saved one nation through Moses and the Red Sea. 
and he saved one sinful foreign woman, Rahab, through a scarlet cord. He'd have known all of that. I think he'd have wept as he read Lamentations, as we all do. He'd have worshipped as he read the Psalms. And he'd have stood in awe alongside Isaiah. I believe that. But I think that above all, he would have grasped how the scriptures point towards the one who was to come. The one who would bring salvation to all. The one that would fulfill all of these promises. The one whose name is Jesus. Why? Because it tells us that known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures, you see, make us wise for salvation. This isn't head knowledge. This isn't why we teach our children Bible stories. This is because there then is a deposit of truth which the Holy Spirit can act on and bring wisdom that leads to salvation. Eunice and Lois knew that. They knew they had a responsibility to train Timothy in the scriptures and wanted to do everything that he could, that he would have the truth embedded into his way of thinking. And so I think that the truth, the word, the scriptures are crucial in our families. Right from early, right from young, all the way through. They're crucial in this family. That's why we spend time looking at the word together. It's crucial in your life groups. That's why you spend time looking at the scriptures together. So the word. The other feature, or another feature, is the spirit. Can't have the word without the spirit. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. And uh, in verse 6 of that first passage we wrote, chapter 1 of of 2 Timothy, it says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh, or fan into flame, the gift of of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And later on in the same chapter, verse 14, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. We need the Holy Spirit to help us live lives which look like Jesus. And a spirit-filled life is not an optional extra. It is the reality of life for the disciple. It's not a striving thing. It's not a self-improvement thing. It's not a things will be slightly easier if... This is just fundamentally the way disciples are to be. When Jesus commissioned the disciples to go and make disciples, i.e. commissioning them to be disciples and make disciples, which we've been focusing on, in the same conversation, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. He doesn't say, go and make disciples and make disciples, off you go. He says, you'll do that, but you need to wait here till you're empowered. He equips us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised and is necessary for the task that we're called to do. It's true in our families. If there are places where we're learning to be disciples, who make disciples, then we need the Holy Spirit to fill everything that we do. So is that your reality? And the other feature I just wanted to highlight as we close is if we've got deep heart connections with each other, we've got a family filled with word and spirit, there's got to be example as well. 
I don't know whether you, your children are the same. I think they probably will be. But they watch everything you do. Like everything. Everything you do. Dad, why do you always dot, 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 fill in the blank? Really? I always do that? You sure? And sometimes it's conscious copying and sometimes it's not. So the other day, Beck walked into the room. I was sat on the floor with Ben and she just burst out laughing because we were basically sat in exactly the same position on the floor. Neither of us had any idea, but he just subconsciously copying. I'm told that when I was small, I used to play funerals <laughs> at home. Oh That's where I get my pastoral gifting from. <laughs> my dad was minister of a fairly elderly congregation at the time. And so this is what I thought people did, was go and take funerals. <laughs> We imitate those around us. We copy. And young children often want to help out, don't they? And the the short task that you wanted to do is kind of extended about fivefold. So gardening. They want to dig. So you give them a trowel to help dig with you. They want to plant bulbs or seeds. So you give them some to put in. They want to mow the lawn. So they have a little toy lawnmower that they can trundle around after you. They want to chop down the tree. I didn't have another chainsaw. so. <laughs> but they just want to copy everything you do. Why? They're learning how to live. They're modelling themselves on what they see around them. And so it's the things or people that they're around the most that will shape them and influence them the most. And Paul talks about his example. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, that's where Timothy was from, what persecutions I endured and how out of them all the Lord rescued me. Every aspect of life, Paul says, you followed. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12, he says, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Paul, a disciple, makes disciples who teach others. That's the model we see. Paul is so convinced about the example that he sets that he writes to the church in Corinth, which is in an interesting state when he writes to them. And he says, imitate me. Imitate me. And the way we imitate is by seeing and by observing and doing that repeatedly until we learn what it looks like. And this is one of the reasons why we have children in worship on a Sunday morning and why we keep them here for the duration. Now, we're not saying we've got that all right. We want to engage them even more. We want to figure out what that might look like. We're thinking hard about it at the moment. But the principle is we want them to see how 
the people of God worship. We want them to hear people having prophetic words and giving them. We want them to have prophetic words too. We want them to see adults engaging with God. We want to model something. And yeah, it's difficult sometimes to help them to engage. Something I've tried, and I was trying actually this morning again, is just as they've started to learn to read and the words are on the screen, just what words do you recognise there? You know, and. Okay, it's not the key word on there, but yes, great. And whenever we sing a song that they know, we try and get them to sing along. We do quite a lot of what I think is dancing, but it probably is more jumping. Um, Just trying to engage them. We want them to have fun in the presence of God. And it's something that we as parents can model, but we need church family to help us. We need them to see others. This isn't just mum and dad being slightly enthusiastic. This is the way the church works. And all of us have something to offer in this. Whether we're natural parents or not, we can all worship God. We can all be an example. We should all be able to aim to say like Paul, imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. This is where life groups can be helpful. Where we do things together as family. Something our life group are working on at the moment, but in the past few years we've done a farm visit. Went and saw the little lambs and chickens and held guinea pigs and that kind of thing. We've had Saturday morning breakfasts all together. Kids as well. It's why we open up our homes. So people can come in and see our family life and they can see that our family can see others. It's why we have kids work as well. The people who are out serving in kids' work, when you go and collect your kids, why not genuinely thank them this morning? I'm not saying you don't genuinely do it anyway, but go over the top this morning. Why? Because they're there modelling what it is to be like Jesus to our children. So important that we provide godly examples in the context of our families, and all of us can be involved in that. So in conclusion, family is an important place for discipleship to happen. And I think it's based around these three things. You can just put up the large diagram. At the root of it is this heart connection. But then we need this kind of overflow, abundance of word and spirit working together and filled with godly examples, filled with lifestyles that continually point to Jesus. And that takes all of us as family. Can we stand? Just going to pray for us. And uh, and when I've done that, I want to provide opportunity if anyone wants to respond to any of those prophetic words which were brought earlier. That something's kind of just stuck with you. And you just want someone to stand and pray with you. There'll be people who will come and pray with you through that. Or anything that struck you from this morning at all. But yeah, let's just draw near to God. Father, we want to thank you for the richness of your word. 
We want to thank you that tucked away in the pages of scripture are rich examples that can instruct us. Father, we want to praise you for Lois and Eunice, (laughs) for the way in which they provide a, a model of godly nurture in a family that was not just straightforward. The way that they instilled a love of the truth in Timothy and brought him up to follow you. So that when Paul comes along, there's a ready-made missionary to go. Father, we thank you for the examples of Paul and Timothy, who dedicated their lives, spreading the gospel, building your church, and imitating what it is to be disciples who make disciples. And Father, we want to learn from their example. Father, we pray that right across this family of Jubilee, there would be an overabundance of deep heart connections between us that we would have genuine friendships genuine relationships that run deep Lord we commit ourselves to being family Father we pray that your word and your spirit would be poured in again and again and again into every interaction that we have And Father, we pray that you would turn us into examples who can instruct others. Examples who point to you. Examples filled with the word and spirit. Building on the truth and responding to your spirit as we've heard testimony today. Speaking out in restaurants and seeing people saved. We praise you, Jesus, for that. We praise you, Jesus, for that Lady Leone. God, we pray, secure her in you. Seal that truth in her. Father, we praise you for restoration of relationships that we've heard. We thank you that each of us can build on the legacy of the the love of God which is placed in each of us. Ah, Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that you as the example of the Father's love is supreme. We pray that that would be reflected in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.